Isaiah 42, 1 through 13. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise from the end of the earth, you who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants. Let the desert and its cities lift their voice, the villages that Kedar inhabits. Let the inhabitants of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. The Lord goes out like a mighty man. Like a a man of war, he stirs up his zeal. He cries out, he shouts aloud. He shows himself mighty against his foes. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me as we uh, approach this passage. Lord, um, we do indeed need your life. Uh, your spirit, your servant, uh, to come and bring us life that we have not had in ourselves. Lord, I pray this morning through your word, through your spirit, that you would help the blind see, uh, the deaf hear. Lord, help us all leap for joy, even though we are lame, uh, in the joy of your name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, While I was watching reruns of The Office this last week... Uh, in part because, for whatever reason, almost all the TV shows I get into are either old or have been off the air for a while. That's kind of the way it is. So I was watching old episodes of The Office, uh, the ones that still have Michael Scott in them. Uh, and this particular episode begins when Michael Scott comes into the office uh, and sort of awkwardly asks who wants to have lunch with him. And, uh, and Dwight immediately says, yes. Uh, and then Michael Scott says, uh, how about a woman? <laughs> and then there's another long, awkward pause, and then he looks over to the right, and he says, accounting? I'm accounting on you. And then there's another long pause, and then he just sort of walks out, dejected, and uh, heads down to the basement in the room that used to be his office. And he's got a stereo and uh, an espresso maker in there, and so he starts listening to music, 
uh, disco music uh, and making espresso, and he decides the reason why uh, no one wants to have lunch with him is because they are all way too concerned uh, with getting their jobs done. And if you've never seen The Office, that's an important aspect of what's going on is it's, it's an office. They're all at work trying to get stuff done. Uh, but Michael Scott decides, no, everyone's too uptight. We need to have a place where we can party and relax. And so he turns the empty storage room into what he calls Cafe Disco. And uh, tries to get everyone to come down and have espresso and dance to music in the storage room, uh, which is not successful. And then so he climbs into his office by himself and pulls out his ham and cheese sandwich and looks at the camera and says, now they got what they want. I'm eating lunch by myself. And uh, of course the story turns around and by the end of the episode, everyone's dancing in cafe disco. Uh, but one of the things I love about The Office is the Michael Scott character and how unbelievably over-the-top insecure uh, the man is. It's hilarious and a little bit stressful for me to watch uh, at the same time because it's, it's so awkward. And what's awkward about it, I think, is that for Michael Scott, everyone and everything around him that happens passes through the filter of, do they like me or do they not like me? Uh, which I can relate with uh, more than I would like to admit. But I use this sort of as a, uh, a quick humorous illustration that there are so many ways, so many different ways uh, where we can, without even realizing it, be living in such a way where the world in our mind is fundamentally about ourselves. Uh, that we talk a lot here about how the gospel frees us from being self-centered, uh, and serving others. But then you think about Michael Scott, and no one serves other people like Michael Scott. For heaven's sakes, he made cafe disco in his office. He's trying to get all his employees to not work. Uh, but even then, in his serving, it's, the awkward thing about it is it's still really all about Michael Scott. Uh, what I want to set before us today is that the answer to freeing ourselves from being self-focused is to not to ponder how self-focused we are, but to find something else uh, that is beautiful and right and good to ponder and redraw our attention on. Like my two-year-old son who can focus and be utterly fascinated with just about anything. For us as uh, Christians to focus that kind of attraction and fascination on to Christ himself, to behold uh, God's servant. We have for a number of weeks now been uh, pondering the season of Lent uh, and in the book of Ecclesiastes. And these things have been teaching us that, uh, that it's not all about us um, and pondering how to sort of communicate what's going on in Lent. I read uh, an article by a pastor friend of mine and thought I would read a little excerpt of it. When we're talking about don't focus on yourself. It's not about you. He wrote this. We are weak. We forget. We get busy. We come immersed. We become immersed in our daily preoccupations. We focus on our material possessions, on what we have or what we don't have. We focus on our experiences, on what we are or what we want, where we want to go. We think only of ourselves. 
We live as if Christ did not rise from the dead. Through our failure and sin, life becomes old again, petty, dark, meaningless, a meaningless journey to a meaningless end. As you've been here for the book of Ecclesiastes, perhaps we'll echo with what we've been talking about. The point is, we're not to not focus on ourselves, not because we don't have value, we're created in God's image, it's just because we are weak, we get distracted, we need uh, a savior, a champion to refocus ourselves on. If I could do just one thing this morning for myself and for all of us, it would be to re-invite us to fall in love with and be amazed by and ponder and treasure uh, our Savior, the Christ, the man himself who entered into Jerusalem on this day in history and taught and spoke and ministered for a week, uh, who uh, commissioned the Lord's Supper, died on the cross and rose again from the dead to ponder and remember who that man was and what it was that was so special about him. In, uh, in the beginning of the worship folder, there's a space for reflections. Uh, and the first one there is just two sentences. And uh, I want to start off with this because this quote really does, in two sentences, what I'm going to try and do in the next 20 minutes. And it says this, Jesus shows us humanity as we were meant to be. He shows us what humanity looks like without sin. And it is breathtaking and marvelous. And that is what I want to invite us to today. Uh, If you take a look at our passage, Isaiah 42. um, And spending time with it this week, I realized I I chose a pretty meaty passage. uh, And if you'll bear with me for a minute, we're going to kind of dig through in detail the first four verses. Uh, But I hope this will be profitable for us. This book Isaiah, this passage actually comes in a very similar moment in the book of Isaiah that we're in now, that uh, Isaiah is a prophet to the Israelites, and for about 39 chapters, uh, he reminds the Israelites in rather pointed terms that uh, they are not all that, (laughs) that they have messed up in some spectacular ways, that they have focused on themselves and their stomachs, and they have harmed and injured other people. They've not had any regard for God or his ways. So similar themes to what we've been talking about. And then he turns the corner. And rather than saying, stop focusing on yourself, he says this. Uh, and these are, he's quoting words from God. He says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, and whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Uh, God, through Isaiah, is... Instead, redirecting the people of Israel away from themselves and towards his promised one who has yet to come. And he begins telling them about what he will be like. He will be God's servant. God will uphold him. He will literally hold him together, keep him up in his mission. He is his chosen. He is the one in whom God's soul delights. If you ponder that for a minute, that in the one in whom my soul delights, that means that if you spend a lengthy amount of time pondering God and his nature and who he is and try and probe down into his heart and the way it's expressed in the scriptures and what we know about him and dig deeper and deeper down to his deepest most part. What she would find there in the heart of God is delight in Jesus Christ. 
in the deepest, most part of his soul. The word means the deepest part of your being, the essence of who you are of God, is to delight in Christ, his servant. He says he put his spirit upon him. Uh, I just want to mention that uh, references to in, the, in the scriptures to the Trinity are rare, uh, and you've got one right here, that God the Father is speaking about the servant who is his son, and he is going to put his spirit upon his son. That uh, in, this, uh, in this praise party for Jesus, that everyone is present at the party in this passage, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, God will put his spirit upon him, and, and this is why, this is the point that the sentence is driving towards. He will bring forth justice to the nations. This, this is the reason why God's soul delights in him. This is the purpose for which he's given his spirit, that Christ, his servant, will bring forth justice to the nations. Uh, now, I don't know about you, but justice is not always the most comforting term for me. Uh, the word can also be translated judgment, uh, which doesn't really seem to make it any better. Uh, but sometimes there are words in Hebrew that just don't make it into English easily. Uh, the word here is sort of this thought group for uh, setting things right. In other words, things are a mess, and then judgment, justice, the word is shafat. Shafat comes, and as a result of that, everything gets put back in its place. Uh, specifically in this context, uh, all the commentators I read said that uh, it refers to, uh, quote, religion as the rule, uh, true religion in its practical application. So if you think about what it would mean to be a believer in Christ and his grace and to have that permeate your being in such a way that you were, uh, as counselors say, fully integrated, that everything that you did, whether at home or in the office or when you're paying your taxes or when you meet a homeless man in the street, that all of that becomes part of one concrete, comprehensive whole in you. You are integrated. It's all reflected around the gospel that everything in your behavior reflects the way things should be. Uh, you can think about it this way. There was uh, a lot in the news this past week about the Supreme Court uh, hearing about the health care law. And uh, conservatives are concerned about our personal liberty and uh, about the ability of government to impose something that it doesn't have authority to do in the, in the Constitution. Uh, they're concerned about that and they're right about that. Uh, the liberals are concerned about the poor and the needy and the health care of the American people. And they're right about that. And Shafat, justice means, if, if that were to happen in this case, if you could sort of uh, imagine with me in June that the Supreme Court releases its judgment in this case, and everyone on both sides reads the judgment, and they say, Wow! I never even imagined or hoped for a judgment like this. This judgment brings us mercy and justice at the same time. Who knew that a judgment could be rendered in such a way that everything was done well? 
that everyone on both sides realized that something beyond what they had even hoped for, beyond what they had, would have done themselves, has come about. That, that is shafat. That is judgment and justice. It is the world set right and people living the way they should. That is the mission that the servant was sent for. Uh, verse 2, he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. Uh, really what that means is that he's not going to be all about himself. Uh, remember that Isaiah is contrasting the servant with uh, what he's been railing against for 41 chapters before this, which is the Israelites and the false prophets who uh, are always about themselves and their own reputations, that when the servant comes, he will bring about this sort of judgment and justice uh, humbly. Uh, This makes perfect sense that when Jesus comes in the Sermon on the Mount, he tells us when we pray to not do it publicly with the hopes that people might think we're awesome prayers. And that when we give to the poor, he literally says, don't sound a trumpet in front of you as some of the hypocrites do, which is amazing to me because that means that someone was actually doing that. Uh, <clears throat> here in this passage, he's, he's done exactly what the passage says of him, that he suggested that we, we do justice and goodness uh, quietly with the end of the justice itself and not what we get out of it. Uh, Verse 3, a bruised reed he will not break. Uh, What it means here is, uh, if you've ever been in a field and you've seen a stalk of grass or a reed, and it's already broken off, it's snapped, the top is hanging straight down, uh, just holding on by a couple fibers. That's, That's what the word means. It's already broken, it's bruised, snapped off, just hanging, uh, and then it says, a, uh, a faintly burning wick he will not quench. That's uh, a candle. Like if you unpack the Christmas decorations at Christmas time and you dig out your Christmas candles from last year with the dust all over the top, and somehow in storage uh, the wick snapped off, so there's just a little stub of a wick left, uh, surrounded by a threatening wall of hardened wax that will drown the wick if you were to light the candle and in some amount of hope you light the wick and for just a moment you get this tiny, tiny little spot of flame and then you breathe out a sigh of relief and it goes out. (laughs) That's what's pictured here Uh, and the servant will do his work in such a way that the broken reed barely hanging on and the candle just about to go out uh, won't be broken or won't go out. Really, it's a metaphor for someone whose life is so completely damaged and crushed that they are barely hanging on, that the desire in them to stay alive is almost completely snuffed out. It's the, the furthest extent of damage possible that we see in, in the world. It's the orphan in an orphanage in a foreign country about to die. It's uh, all those examples we can think of that we would not dare to have hope for. That he will do his work in that place 
to bring about what is good and right in such a way that no further damage will take place, that they are completely secure and safe in his hands. Uh, And what it doesn't clearly say, but I am convinced is implied, is not only will he not break off or crush, but he will build up. He will restore in such a way that they will be able to handle it. The verse finishes, he will faithfully bring forth justice. Uh, so we've heard this justice word twice now. If you, uh, if you have a pen or a pencil, uh, take just a moment to circle every time you see the word justice in the first five verses. I think we've got five or six. Does anyone have a count? It's quite a few. It's the theme of the first part of this passage, justice, that he will bring it about in such a way that he'll be humble, that he'll be gentle with the bruised and brokenhearted. And finally, verse four, he will not grow faint or be discouraged until he has established justice in the earth. Uh, the word there for faint is the same word they just used for the candle. And the word that in my translation is translated discouraged is the same word they use to describe the reed, broken. That he will enter into uh, lives that are completely crushed and broken and he himself won't be snuffed out nor broken. And uh, I know that a number of you here have jobs in the helping professions and you know why this verse is important, that to spend time with people in your medical office whom you know are not going to survive, uh, to counsel people who've been through unimaginable difficulties, uh, to see people in your company be injured. There's no way for us as human beings to enter into those places and desire what the Hebrews called justice, without either becoming hard uh, or becoming bruised ourselves. And yet this servant, he can enter in and do this work. And because the Lord's Spirit is upon him, he will be held together. He will survive. Finally, it says, the coastlands wait for his law. Well, what's up with the coastlands? Uh, Coastlands is code in the Israelite world for not Israel. Uh, Israel had a little bit of coastland, but not much. It wasn't going on there. What really coastland refers to is uh, Tyre to the north and the Philistines uh, to the south. And you remember David and Goliath, Philistines. These are the bad guys. These are unbelievers that he will do his work in such a way that even they will see his work and they won't experience judgment or condemnation, they'll actually long for him to bring his law, his judgment, his justice, his peace, his wholeness, his restoration, the work that he does. Uh, This is the servant that God delights in. Behold, my servant. These are all things for us to treasure about him. Um, The next section, uh, God turns himself and speaks directly to his servant. Um, You can read that passage at home. He's continuing to echo some of the same themes.
Uh, well, what, what do we do with this passage this week? Uh, I've got three quick recommendations for us. Uh, the first is uh, to remember the already not yet uh, nature of this prophecy that Isaiah, um, through the Holy Spirit and God speaking, is looking forward into the future and he's telling us about what he sees in the future and he sees uh, the coming of Christ and his death and resurrection in the first century and he sees the second coming of Christ in the book of Revelation where all things get made well and from his perspective... Uh, he's seeing them both at the same time. Well, for us, the, uh, the first coming has already happened. So Jesus came and died, but Revelation is not here yet. And so we are actually in this period that God refers to as uh, the period in which he will not grow faint or be discouraged. In other words, we've already seen Christ do this stuff. If you want to know what it looks like to see a man, beautiful and majestic, who lives these things out, spend some time this week with the Gospels. Because that is the illustration of this sort of man. But we don't yet fully see it in place. Uh, We are hoping and waiting uh, for it to come at the end of the age. If you are visiting with us this morning and you're not a believer, you need to know this is why we're constantly talking about these amazing promises and we don't see them out in the world. Uh, It's not because it's some sort of fantasy we use to comfort ourselves. It's because it's a hope in the future uh, that we have promised to us in passages like this that we are hoping upon. Uh, Finally, uh, what to do with this passage was, uh, was not hard for me. I didn't have to look far this week. Uh, I think what we should do is sing to the Lord a new song. Take a look at verse 10. Sing to the Lord a new song. Praise his name from the end of the earth. Uh, the verbs in this final paragraph are sing, praise, uh, lift up your voice, sing for joy, declare. Uh, these are dramatic, out loud uh, proclamations of love and adoration. Uh, Think back uh, to if you have ever fallen in love, uh, what what did you do? You you daydreamed. You uh, wrote letters, perhaps uh, drew pictures, uh, maybe wrote poetry that you would not want uh, to be publicly seen today. Uh, these sorts of um, dramatic, uh, perhaps embarrassing, over-the-top declarations of love. That's what we're called to uh, in our relationship with the Lord. This is, this is our role uh, in our relationship with Him. In fact, I specifically challenge you, uh, this time, this week, uh, in your contemplation of Easter, go ahead and try and, and write a poem. Write a song. Write for us a call to worship or a prayer of adoration. Email it to me. We have in the past used uh, prayers of adoration and elements of worship written uh, by some of you. And uh, it's been a while since I've mentioned that, but I I challenge you, give it a shot this week. Uh, Maybe you can keep it to yourself. We we may use it. We don't have to use it. Uh, But but try it. It will do you good. And I promise you, I'll do it with you. I will this week... I give you my word, 
uh, sit down and try and write uh, some words for Christ. Um, it, this, is, this is what directs us away from ourselves and, and towards his nature, that Paul sums this up by saying uh, that as we behold Christ with unveiled face, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That it is this adoration and beholding that uh, makes us, through the Spirit, who we are to be uh, in his nature. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, I thank you for this passage, most of all for, for your Son, your servant, who you've sent. I pray for myself and all of us this week. Would you again set our hearts on fire uh, for this man who walked amongst us and is at this very moment continuing his mission to bring about justice, to bring about peace and goodness in the world, Lord. May we find our whole in him. Uh, may we find him to be uh, the ideal uh, of what we long for and wish for. And may we join him in adoration there. Lord, give us this grace by your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.